Hey, everybody, it's Bax, and thanks for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast with my guest this week, singer-songwriter Blue. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and feel free to email me at Bax at rock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And be sure to listen to Baxi's Musical Fun Bag every Sunday night at 9 o'clock on rock102.com to find out what's coming up on next week's podcast. It's Rock 102's Loudest Hour, and right now, it's time for Baxi's Musical Podcast. Baxi's Musical Podcast. At the ripe old age of 56, I still get excited from time to time when I accidentally stumble across new music. Even if that music winds up being 15 or 20 years old, I can still find myself getting totally caught up in it. Because when something connects, when it hits me, that's it. I'm diving right in. And that brings me to the music of Blue Macaulay. Now, if you know Blue's music, then you already know what I'm about to tell you. But if you don't, then what I hope you'll discover is that Blue is an intensely gifted songwriter. A songwriter who has the ability to write in multiple styles, in multiple genres, using multiple production techniques. He's got a masterful ability to create tuneful melodies and apply them in a staggering variety of ways. Whether it be through his own solo material, film scores, commercial work, or creating albums that have earnestly been inspired by artists who have influenced him throughout his entire lifetime. Such as the amazing tribute to Jeff Lynne of ELO called Alpaca's Orgling under the name LEO back in 2006. He's written and or produced music for the Jonas Brothers, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez, Michelle Branch, John Oates, Meatloaf, and Hanson. He's also written music with one of my all-time personal favorites, Andy Sturmer and Roger Joseph Manning from Jellyfish. He's also taken his talent to the classroom, having spent nearly two years preparing a master-level course in songwriting at his alma mater, the Berklee School of Music in Boston. And the way I got introduced to his music was by, of all people, the godfather of home recording, R. Stevie Moore, who I interviewed last spring, a guy who was mentioned in one of Blue's songs with the band The Major Labels. We're going to talk about that and a whole lot of other stuff with award-winning singer-songwriter, producer, and educator, Blue, on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey there, how are you? Good, how you doing? I'm great, good to see you. Likewise. Yeah, well, well I'm glad we could finally make this happen because uh, if, I'm, if I'm understanding everything correctly, you were born in Green Bay, <laughs> you grew up in VA, uh, you went to school in Boston, moved to Los Angeles. I grew up South Shore, I live in the Springfield area now, I went to school in Milwaukee, I vacationed in Virginia, and I had a two-hour layover once in LAX. If you you and I aren't living parallel lives, I don't know what. <laughs> I don't know who is. <laughs> uh, where did you vacation in Virginia? Uh, Richmond, Richmond, and uh, okay. also I Virginia lived in Beach. Richmond when I was a kid. Actually, okay. Richmond is a beautiful city. It is. It is a beautiful city. But uh, but uh, you still kind of consider yourself a, a Boston guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I still I still go back every year and, um, you know, work on records there and work with other artists in the area <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, what, I, I love it. What is it about uh, Massachusetts that keeps uh, sucking you right back in? 
I really like the people actually, you know, I, it, it, which is funny because it's, it's, it's like, you know, Massachusetts people are kind of known for being sort of, I, I don't know, uh, unapproachable In, and insufferable, and, arrogant, all those yeah, things. Yeah, <laughs> But I, I, I haven't found it, that to be the case really, actually. <laughs> I, I, it's like, it's sort of like all bark and no bite or something. Actually, I think like Massachusetts people are like incredibly warm and generous and, but it's, but there's just this, the fun of like, you know, the sort of, uh, gruff exterior or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I've, I've always appreciated that. Um, and and you know I don't know it's just it's it's beautiful and old and and also you know it's like a, most of my friends live there or a lot of my like you know old old friends all live there right. so like I, I have to go back just to well if it, hang out if it makes you feel any better it's freezing cold it's snowing we're looking for three inches today so um, you know be be thankful and grateful. You're in Los Angeles. You're in, in California, where you're not likely to see very much of that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't miss that. Although I do somehow manage to catch that, like every time. I I always seem to go back in January and February. <laughs> I think I have a masochistic streak. Be, before we get into into really uh, into the nuts and bolts and stuff, Ken, there's actually quite a lot to, that the, I want to talk to you about. I, I want to tell you how I accidentally bumped into your music. Last May, I interviewed uh, the godfather of home recording, R. Stevie Moore. Uh, guys, sure. You, I don't know if you, how. Yeah, but, I know. I know all about him. Yeah. We start talking. Uh, you know, we do the interview, and we, we keep in touch uh, after this. And he's, you know, we talk about you know some of the music that we you know we both enjoy. And he sends me this link, and he says, "You're gonna love this. It's right up your alley." And he sends me the link of "Goodbye Innocence" from from Leo which I absolutely loved and not just because it's a, it's a great song and everything because it is, but I'm listening to it and I know he did this because we talked about this specifically. I'm listening to it and I'm saying, hold on a second. That's freaking Andy Sturmer from jellyfish singing in that song. And at that point I just completely geeked out and said, well, that's it. Blue has got me a hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I'm diving right in. And that's exactly what I did. I'm a huge Jellyfish fan, and to know that that uh, you know you you worked with him, a guy who, you know, and this is like 13 years after Spilt Milk, he's kind of been like a musical hermit, and here you are, you know, getting him to work with you. How did you manage to work to to get to know him? Because he has not been the easiest guy to to approach or even to to get involved with. How how did that happen? Well, this was many years ago, obviously now yeah. at this point, um, more than 20 years ago now. Um, so, um, you know, I think that's, that's something worth noting. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, you know, think it was a different time for everyone then, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, I, the, producer that i chose for the record uh, a guy who's remained a lifelong friend uh named john fields who's produced a, a bunch of big records for all kinds of people over the years he kind of said to me um if you could collaborate with anyone on the record who would it be and and honestly andy was it was the first person i said 
he happened to, you know, ha- have fairly recently been in touch with him. Um, I-, I forget exactly. He'll he would remember better than me, but why why their paths had crossed um, before then. But um, I think at the time, um, Andy was just looking for something to do, you know, (laughs) honestly, you know, and, and I do think that he sort of maybe saw that I was a, a kindred spirit and liked the music and all that kind of stuff, but which I think would have to be a given. Um, but, but yeah, honestly, I just think he was at a point right then where he wanted, wanted something fun and different to work on. He was, he was doing a lot of that actually at that time. Right. He had just begun to explore the idea of writing for animated series. Um, he, it was, it was right before he started developing the high, high puffy Amiyumi show, but he was, had started to work on some records for puffy Amiyumi. Um, and, uh, there was a, a couple of other people, you know, that he had worked with around that time. And I think, you know, like, I, I don't want to speak for him, but my um, my impression is that he was kind of exploring, you know, trying to figure out what was going to be next and maybe like collaborating with people like me. Yeah. Um, you know, was was maybe one of the things that he he was exploring. And I think after he did a little bit of that, he decided that that's not really what he wanted to do. So I, I was glad I, I ended up hitting him kind of at the right time. I mean, the LEO thing obviously was after he had worked on Redhead. So we had already had, you know, some collaboration um, and, and worked together uh, uh, quite a bit before the LEO thing. Yeah. Um, and it did take quite a bit of pestering to get him to to finally you know put his part on it but i think he was happy to do it he was just you know busy and well, with it, other things at that it, point it, it was with puffy it's it's interesting to me because you know there's a there's some there's a lot of i i would i don't want to say stylistic you know similarities between between you and and him and and, and roger manning who i've talked to and you know jason faulkner a couple of times but you know there's there's no shying away the thing i think that I, that I kind of like about it is there's no shying away from where your influences lie. And that is something that you guys do share. And it's not, it's not derivative. It's not, uh, you know, you're not, you know, copying anybody. You're being respectful and earnest in, in, in those things that inspire you. I mean, in the case of LEO, it's, it's Jeff Lynn. In the case of Jellyfish, it could be, you know, Queen or Jeff Lynn or the Beatles or, you know, whatever it may be. And I think I respect that because if the songs weren't fantastic, this could easily be seen as like, you know, not that interesting. But the songs are so, and not just on that album, but all your albums. You sh- you don't shy away from, you know, strong melodies and big harmonies and, and you know, creative, you know, twists and turns. It's it's one of the things that I've discovered about your music that I absolutely am falling in love with. It just, you know, there's this, you know, there's no fear and, and embracing, you know, what inspires you. I, I have a great deal of respect for that. Yeah, I, I've always found that kind of funny, you know, especially with a lot of indie bands, you know, that sound just like whoever, the Talking Heads or uh, you name it. Yeah. Um, I, I always think it's funny that they, you know, 
sometimes don't want to just embrace, oh yeah, I, I loved that band. And so, you know, that's, that's our biggest influence. That's what we're trying to sound like or whatever. <laughs> I do think maybe it's a little bit more obvious, you know, when it's uh, ELO or the queen queen or the beach boys or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but like I said, if the, if the songs were shitty, it would just, it, it could easily be dismissed, but the songs are so great that it's like, you know, they, I just, I just shook my head and going and thought, this is this is so honest and pure and respectful of of Jeff Lynn and his production style and and everything from you know the, the the sound of the drums to the harmonies. I mean, it's all very very respectful well, part, and earnest. Part of you know that project in particular, and then also the Loud Lion project, which I did you know many years after that, was uh, really trying to explore every aspect of a particular auteur that I, um, you know, appreciated and, and respected. Obviously, Jeff Lynn on the LEO project and then Mutt Lang, you know, with the Loud Lion project. But to me, to just explore all these production techniques, but not to also try to pick apart all the songwriting and what makes that tick didn't really make sense. It's, it's a kind of a whole ball of wax of, um, you know, from, from, drum sounds you know all the way to lyrics and melody types and chord structures and kind of everything and that was the point of doing both of those projects was to really try to explore everything i could about those people it's it's uh i've i've read some interviews i've listened to a couple podcast interviews you've done and you talk a lot about you know collaborating with people not everybody is is great at collaboration. Some people try to, you know, they're, they're kind of fixated in a lane and, and they don't really diverge from that lane. You're really not that kind of guy. And it sounds like that you get really energized by collaboration and you're not beholden to just like one way of doing things. You're, you're, you, you are more than willing to kind of diversify what you do. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. I don't know. I mean, it's just, I get bored easily, basically, you know, I, I think that's, that's kind of the long and the short of it, really. Um, I, um, and I like a lot of different things. And I, I'm not afraid to, I don't know, just wear my influences on my sleeve, I guess. Um, that's, you know, half the fun for me. But yeah, I, I, I just, I, I kind of, I always need a new challenge you know what I mean? And, and, um, so, and, and I'm always searching, you know, it's to, to kind of feel like, oh, I'm done, you know, or, or I've, I've said all I want to say or something, I don't know, is just, isn't, doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, in the end, I'm just trying, especially at this point, I'm just, when I'm working on my own stuff, which is, you know, a very small percentage of the time compared to, <laughs> you know, my overall career, a tiny percentage, honestly, it's just like, I, I want, I want to, I, I, it's either because I have something to say, you know, cause I'm trying to express something, um, process my emotions basically, or, um, trying to have fun, you, you know, and, and explore. And if one of those two things like, isn't happening, then like, I'm not, 
I'm not doing it basically. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, I, I see, I can see that, you know, when I listen to like, for example, I downloaded uh, you know, six tape and I listened to you know some of the songs that you did there, you know, like a song, like, um, you know, uh, you know, write you a symphony. I mean, that could very easily have been just a, a, a plain, simple song, but you threw everything into it to make it really, you know, in- interesting. There's a sense of humor about it or a sense of irony about it. Uh, even though you're kind of tackling what is basically a very serious song, you're just adding things that you know clearly that, you know, someone who's, who is creative, you know, has to kind of add something new to make it even interesting for you, the writer of those songs. I've done a lot of productions like that over the years, which I call like, you know, musical onomatopoeia or, or really, really what, what it is, is, is prosody, um, like taking prosody to like, it's, uh, you know, like to the nth degree. Right. And I feel like I, I had, I had done several of those over the years to varying degrees. And I felt like with that one, I was like, okay, I got to do like the absolute ultimate biggest one of these because and kind of get it out of my system, <laughs> so to speak. You know? and, and obviously that seemed like the perfect song to do that with because it's talking about all these different things, um, you know, so why not represent, you know, all those things musically or whatever. But it, it was fun. It was fun. I, I like that, you know, <laughs> ultimate uh, schizophrenic, uh, you know, kind of, um, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's constantly, I don't know, changing lanes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you am like bar to bar sometimes. Well, you, you, you certainly did do a, a good deal of that. Like, um, and it's, it's, it's funny cause I went on, on band camp and they go, well, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll order a physical copy of, of the, of the album. And, and the only thing that, that you could order off of band camp with this, record is the uh, the high quality vhs version of it which i thought you know okay it's a 100 bucks or more do i want to own it that badly all on vhs i'd have to I'd have to buy a vhs player to even consider it but i mean it just i mean it's just a very creative approach to you know releasing uh, releasing music at all it was fun i mean i'm i'm obsessed with vhs um so i actually have a a bunch of new <laughs> new finds uh right here next to me when i was just in virginia for the holidays and there's much better picking there than there is here i'll i'll just i'll show you a couple here tanya roberts and sheena wow so that this is actually one of the moms from that 70s show (laughs) yep um and uh and it came out the same year as tarzan the legend of graystoke and uh, a lot of a lot of people say this is like the female Tarzan, which it kind of is. It's it's like it's like um, African exploitation film. It was like <laughs> shot in Africa. Uh, but I got I got these recently. This was one of my my favorite shows when I was a kid. I got all the different packages on it too. Do you remember this show, Buck Rogers? Buck Rogers. I sure I sure I sure it's do. A great one. Look at all these. Wow. The, the, the cases I love for me, it's like collecting records, you know, the, uh, I love the artwork and all the, you know, credits and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, releasing, 
my record on VHS. <laughs> That's what it was for me, was like an opportunity to explore the medium and all the artwork, and the packaging and stuff like that. Check this guy out. Clamshell case. Goonies. Look at that. The Goonies. Yeah. Wow. Now, did they, was it rewound when you got it or did you have to go and rewind it yourself? It's funny. It's funny, <laughs> but uh, they, you know, you, you find all kinds of, you find them in all kinds of shape. That's for sure. But, uh, but I, I, I found a couple sealed ones too. I, I, obviously when you get the sealed ones, it's pretty exciting. Then it's like, oh, am I going to open it up and actually play it or not? I got a sealed Tootsie. Wow. You ha- you, you, it's too bad that the, the, the Discogs doesn't run uh, <laughs> a VHS uh, your pricing guide. That, that could be you know, worth at least four bucks on the open market. There, there's actually like you know you can go and to <laughs> video stores again. I worked at video stores when when I was a kid, like before I got signed. So you know it it holds a very special place in my heart. I bet it does. One of the things that you you had mentioned was about you know working on you know musical projects that are not necessarily solo projects, but you know things like when Andy Sturmer's working on you know animated TV shows. You know you've created this this class for uh, for berkeley school of music where you where you went about uh, sync work for for music as i understand it it opens up you know all kinds of doors for a musician's or songwriter's career that wouldn't necessarily be available if you're just going to you know, start a band looking for gigs hoping to get signed by a major label i mean to me it's just it's it's nothing but you know you know tangible you know opportunity Tell, tell me a little bit about uh, about the clash that you put together and, and about, you know, sync work. Well, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. <clears throat> and obviously we get into all that um, in the course. You know, I talk about production music, which they used to call library music um, and uh, writing to uh, brief, which is more what like music houses do that you know they the names for these things are always sort of changing but um i think what you're talking about and and the reason why most people are interested in taking the course is um what i call and this is just a term that i coined i call it artist oriented sync mm-hmm. and that's where basically you're creating music um that is aimed at the sync market um but not specifically like having briefs come in and say i'm going to like write something specifically for this brief it's basically like you're making songs as an artist um for release as you normally would as any artist would except that it's geared specifically towards trying to get syncs and approach you know the sync market and i do think it's a really it's not what i think a lot of people think it is um i think it's actually kind of the opposite of what a lot of people you know think it is in in many ways but um i do think that it can be a great way to approach a career. And I know many people who have done very well and, and honestly managed to have 
very successful careers, in some cases, even much more successful careers than had they approached their career as like a typical artist trying to, you know, sort of tour and right, get signed right. to a label and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think it, it it works really well for certain types of artists making certain kinds of music. But I do also think that anyone can do it because there's a lot of different, you know, genres um, associated with sync. But the thing you can't do is just make the music and then, uh, I mean, obviously if you're a certain kind of artist, it works, you know, it can work. But for a lot of people, I think you can't just say, oh, I'm going to make the music that I want to make. And I just need to find the right contacts, you know, in, in order to like get my music synced. Uh, that's a part of it. But the more important part is making the kind of music that people want to sync. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, is it is it harder as a as a songwriter to write something that is designed to be a part of a commercial entity or is it harder to write for yourself for your own purposes or is there any kind of distinction it depends, it depends on the person yeah you know like i find that a lot of students and you know because i now have you know friends people that i've you know uh, known wonderful wonderful artists um, approaching me and saying, Hey, you know, I know you've had a lot of success in sync and you wrote this whole course from Berkeley. Like, what do I do? And then we talk about it and I start telling them what they would need to do to get into it. And they're like, Oh, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's hard for some people. It depends on like what your approach is and like how you view yourself as an artist. Um, cause one, one thing that, has kind of shifted over the last several years is that like you really need to release stuff under your own name. I think there for a while people were trying to release stuff under like side project names and that kind of thing. And that can work if you establish a presence over a long term, but you still have to treat that as if it's a real artist project. And for a lot of people, they're not willing to take all the time and effort to market every single project and do all the social media for it and, you know, and so on and so forth. It's like in addition to what they're already doing in their artist career. So the easiest thing for most people is to just release it under your artist name, but then that ends up being a catch for a lot of people. Yeah. Because they're like, Oh, well I could never release that kind of a thing under my name because I only do this kind of a thing. You know what I mean? And um, so I think it's for a lot of people that ends up, you know, kind of being the issue and, 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 and being a snag. So, I think the people that are willing to dive in head first and be like, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do. That's when, you know, they start to succeed. It, it's, it sounds like you have to somehow get beyond certain insecurities to even consider it. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, you know, there are some people that, you know, the ego is kind of getting in the way of them maybe, you know, having that commercial success in, you know, in, in that direction, as opposed to, you know, your stereotypical, you know, you know, fantasy of what success really looks like. And I think, you know, the, the, as you describe it, you know, the, the, the possibilities of, 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 you know, scratching out a, a lucrative career, you know, requires you to kind of get beyond some of that stuff and say, okay, but there's also this, we'll put food on my table and pay my bills. 
as opposed to, you know, there's a lot of artists out there, especially now uh, where, you know, the, 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 the payback on, on streaming is so <laughs> appallingly bad that, uh, you know, they rely on that and, you know, merchandising to, to pay bills. You know, to me, it seems to me you're, you're looking at other opportunities that maybe a lot of people just either are afraid to do or just don't even know how to begin doing it. Is, I mean, is that, is that like an accurate thought or, or, or not so much? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, and I think, yeah, I, again, for a lot of people, it's just, it's difficult for them to, to separate, you know, doing this thing specifically for this. Um, but I don't know. The funny thing about it is I think if you can flip your thinking on it, it's just as creative, if not more creative than trying to. It, that's the funny thing about sync is because at the highest levels of sync, they're looking for really creative like really interesting different music L let me give you the ultimate example um iphone commercials or uh, let's uh, let's take really i should say apple products okay um because it's not just iphones you know um they go for the absolute most cutting edge, most creative music. And this guy that I used to produce many, many years ago has, I think he's had something like a dozen Apple commercials or something like that. He goes by the name Nudes with a V, N-V-D-E-S. And the music is incredibly creative. And... um like really more creative than a lot of like what you would hear on the radio or, you know, like just your average artist trying to, you know, make their way doing touring and things like that. And so like, in a way, I, I, I think it's, it's funny that people like kind of see it as, as this box. I, to me, I think it's totally the opposite. I just, I just found out about this artist from an Apple commercial who's incredible uh what's his name um cosmo sheldrake he um had the commercial for the new um mac studio which is like their their new computer or whatever right and um i mean you would love it like if you like my music and jellyfish and all that it's it's that kind of music it's like Beatles influenced, but also like very orchestral and, you know, has like every crazy bell and whistle and stuff like that. Anyway, my the point I'm trying to make is th this is not a guy who's like pulling any punches or trying to do something, you know, that is like overtly commercial. If anything, it's totally the opposite. So um, I think there there are, are, are opportunities in sync to be more creative than yeah. you would be able to having like some sort of standard artist music career. So it's just all about shifting your thinking and shifting your focus. I think one of the, uh, the other things that I've, uh, I've noticed and, and you've been doing this for a very, very long period of time and I'm doing it beautifully and very successfully uh, crowdsourcing for your, for your own music, Kickstarter, 
I just watched uh, the video of the uh, the bluesical, the mini musical, which I thought, you know, talk. Yeah, you know, how many times do you see someone who may be looking to, you know, start a Kickstarter, uh, you know, campaign? And th- th- there's not a whole lot more than just them sitting in front of their iPhone saying, "Hey, I sure could use a few bucks for a new record." You put together this lavish production uh, that was just, it was so great and so compelling and people responded to it. Um, has that, has that changed over the years? Is it easier? Is it harder? Um, do, does the creativity that you, you added, you know, back, uh, you know, in 2010 or whatever it was uh, for, I think it was for your album four. Uh, I mean, is it still is it still viable to, to, to be marketing yourself that way? What, how does that work for, for artists now in, in 2023? Again, like not to be vague about it, but I think it depends on the artist. Um, I certainly think there are artists that are continuing to do very well with it. I I've seen a lot of people move over to the Patreon model um, which I do think is is a good model because it's it's a subscription you know model basically yeah. or it can be. There's a lot of different ways that you can do it that you can work it. But I think for people that want to just um, constantly be creating, uh, um, that's a great way for them to constantly offer material to people that are interested in what they're doing. Um, it, you know, it, I don't, it might be tough for me because I have a full-time music career, you know, outside of making my music, which is just a small percentage of what I do. So like keeping up with something like that might be a little bit more difficult for me. Um, but I think there are, there's a lot of options out there for, for people. And I think if you're willing to be creative and give, you know, the people who are interested in, in your music, something of value and something that they're looking for and they connect with, I, I think it absolutely can still work and we're still seeing it work. I do think it had, you know, the, it's sort of now moved on to just being a fixture of the independent, you know, music scene and industry, whereas, you know, when I was participating in it with my, you know, couple of big projects, it it was new and it was kind of more exciting and a little bit more of a fad, you know, at, at that time. And now it's kind of moved over. And that's why I think you see a lot of people moving over to Patreon. Yeah. Because it's more something that's just a constant rather than, you know, an event. <coughs> Excuse me. When you, but yeah, so I, I think it can be good, but it depends. You got to find what works for you. <laughs> yeah, you, you you mentioned you know some of the other things that you've done. I know on uh, uh, on Spotify, there's another uh, a bunch of singles that have come out you know last year, and 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 some of the other things that you've done. What what are you working on now? I mean, you you keep uh, you know referring to things that uh, that are also occupying your time. Are there are there specific things whether it's producing or writing for other people that's that's keeping you busy? Yeah, I've been doing more scoring lately. Uh, I I scored a documentary for HBO um, that came out last year, and I'm uh, working on another documentary uh, for HBO now, which I'm, I don't think I'm supposed to say anything about it. Um, 
but uh, you know NDAs and whatnot, right? Because um, it hasn't. I it, I don't I don't think it's been announced yet. Um, but um, so that's been fun. I've you know been doing more scoring stuff, which I I really enjoy, and it's 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 definitely a new challenge for me. Um, there's a lot of artists that I'm working with. I've been having a lot of fun working with an artist out of Nashville named Lucas Carpenter. And, um, I'm also doing all the kind of art and design stuff for that project as well, which has been really fun. Um, I, I do a lot of graphic design now and, um, you know, clothing design and stuff like that. So that's, you know, that's a fun new thing that kind of, you know, keeps me occupied that I'm slowly starting to move forward. Um, I, I have a side project that's specifically geared towards sync called prim and proper with a, a wonderful, um, retro singer named Addie Hamilton. Um, and we just finished an EP that'll come out, um, in the first quarter here. And then we we've, we're almost done with the second EP, which, which is going to come out in the second quarter. Um, I'm still pitching for K-pop a ton. Um, I just had a single come out with an artist named Owen uh, with two N's at the end. Um, and he's opening up for Taylor Swift on her next tour. So wow. everybody's really excited about that. And I, <clears throat> I have some more singles in the pipeline um, with him. Um, I don't know, an artist named Lola Blanc that I've been working with for, for many years, um, has some, some stuff looks like is coming out with her. There's, um, a guy, um, I did work with I, my last single. Well, my last single was, was with Kong. Um, and I do have some more stuff in the pipeline with him. And then the one before that was with a, a wonderful artist named Carly Page. And we just wrote together recently, did another duet. Um, so that'll, that'll come out at some point. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a lot of stuff. Uh, there's another artist named Brooke Tomlinson. We're working on some stuff together. Um, it's just, it's so, it's so, so many things. What else? Um, uh, I know, I know it just, it, it goes on and on and on. Um, and you know, I, I did realize really just a few days ago that I think I actually have enough material for a new record. So, um, I don't want to be too premature because there's obviously so many things pulling me in different directions and so many, you know, other, other projects that I need to get completed this year, but I am hoping to put out another record this year. And, and this would, this would be a first for me to have released two records, um, this close together. Yeah. But I have the material, you know, I, 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 I I don't know. It's just one of those weird things. That I I had some spurts recently, and ended up writing a, a lot of stuff. Usually, it's kind of more spread out. It's like I get an idea for one of my songs, and then it sits around a long time, and then I, you know, I kind of work on it in dibs and dabs. But I definitely had some spurts over the last year where I was I wrote several songs, you know, kind of in a in all together. Um, so. 
So I mean, yeah, when um, when, when yeah. you are writing, and it, it, it sounds like you know the, the the demands on you are pretty are pretty high, you know, with with that many projects going on, you know, simultaneously. When you're when you're writing music, does it come easy to you? I mean, do you do you find that uh, you're writing like every day, or are you the kind of guy that's kind of that kind of has to wait for it to come to you? Because I mean, every I, every songwriter seems to have like a different approach to that where. You know, they just, you know, I remember, I forgot who I was talking to. It's like, uh, they were saying like they can walk past their guitar 15 times a day. And then all of a sudden they accidentally sit down with the guitar and then all of a sudden a song pours out and that's the end of the day. I mean, that's, is, is that how it works for you or is it more of a, of a, of a discipline type of situation? You know, it's kind of both because obviously I'm a professional songwriter. So when I'm writing with other people, I'm always ready to write a song, you know? Yeah. Um, or when I'm, you know, pitching or doing, you know, writing for sync or pitching for K-pop, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm always up for that and I'm always ready for that. Cause that's what I'm doing, you know, kind of on a regular basis. Um, but when it comes to writing, my stuff i'm i'm looking i'm i'm waiting basically for that inspiration i'm never just like oh i'm gonna sit down and write a song today now with my stuff more it's like no i i want to write this song i will say sometimes um on the collaboration side though it can be different where i'm I'm getting together with somebody and i'm like i want to write a song for me today let's work on that and then and then you know it'll come out that way but Certainly in terms of like, you know, processing my feelings and stuff like that, it's I'm 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 letting that inspiration strike when it comes and, and trying to capture it. You know? On those moments where, you know, creatively it, it isn't coming to you. And I think every but every creative person kind of goes through this where, you know, they're just not it's just not hitting. It's not not connecting and whether it's, you know, a, a writer's block or whatever it may be. Do you think because of the diversity of the kind of projects you're taking on the way that you write music, you know, you know, different genres, different ideas. Do you think that helps you avoid those moments or do you still go through those moments where it, it just doesn't come as simple? Not really. And it is because of the incredible variety of, of things that I work on. So if, if, you know, if this thing isn't happening or working, I, I can always just shift over yeah to the other thing but then also like when you're really actively involved in doing this for a living like i am it's like you kind of have like it doesn't really matter if you're inspired or not sometimes you just have to make the thing anyway <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and, and you got to complete it too like i mean i know a lot of you know guys who start a project and just it takes from the forever for them to say all right, I'll go back to it finally after months or years or whatever it may be. That doesn't seem to be like uh, I don't know if that if that's how it is it it is for you whether you're you know collecting little bits and pieces of stuff and then putting them together later or are you driven to complete something? Well, certainly on my projects, there you know working on my stuff, it's always getting pushed back because <laughs> because you know there's I need to like concentrate on the things that you know I'm are guaranteed to work for me to make a living. Um, so yeah, it is harder to find the time, you know, to work on my things, but I, I, I love it when I get the chance, but 
I think that's why I love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I because I don't get to work on it all the time. Like pretty much every time I am working on it is like exciting and fun. Yeah. Well, I I have to say I've I've uh, I've had uh, so much fun just getting to understand, you know, not only who you are, but 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 uh, but the music, uh, you know, over the last couple of months. And and like I said, yeah, I I always love to bring props. Like you're showing me your uh, your collection of VHS. I'm just going to show you my my collection of uh, of blue CDs here. I'm on my I'm on my nice. way. I'm I'm the kind of guy that uh, that can't stop until it's all complete. I got to have everything. So well, you got to get that VHS. I, I'm going to have to, and then I'm going to have to convince my wife to <laughs> invest in a VHS player. I will say that we're we kind of have been holding off on this, but uh, um, we are. There's a digital you know, version of it that we are um, going to be offering basically to everybody who has already bought the VHS or, <laughs> or, or buys well, the VHS. There might be some people that want a little bit more than a videotape. There might, there might be a few that, uh, that say this may not be enough for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, the turnaround times for vinyl are just so long now that it's it's difficult to to kind of you know coordinate that you know what i mean because yeah. it's it's like once your record's finished it's like the vinyl's not going to come out for another year and a half you know what i mean yeah because <laughs> because the demand is so high and the turnaround time is just so crazy and and by the way it's pretty freaking expensive too so like that's that's another factor that has 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 stopped me from doing more vinyl yeah um obviously we worked to do the redhead um record and i i was that was fun because we got to you know um go back and listen to all the original mixes and um get it mastered specifically for vinyl and go back into the original artwork and all that kind of stuff so that's so that was fun and i think people were willing to wait for that but i think for a new project it might might be a little bit more difficult but but maybe i don't know maybe maybe we'll try to get that going good for this for this next one that would be great well blue listen i i appreciate the time today i know you got a million things going on and it sounds like uh you, the, the fact that you've given me 40 minutes of your time I, I i really appreciate it so nice to meet you and uh, i'm gonna keep my eyes Likewise. open can't wait can't wait for new stuff even if it means i gotta buy products or watch commercials or <laughs> whatever it's got to be i'm going to keep it'll following be all along. of it good <laughs> it'll Perfect. be all of it for sure well hey. thank you so much man I, I had a great time talking to you and uh you know enjoy that freezing cold snowy weather for me yeah when, when i'm pulling my snowblower out i'll be thinking of you <laughs> <laughs> yes. all right man all right take care of yourself peace you can check out Blue's website on Bluetopia.com. You can also find his music on both Bandcamp and Spotify. Such great stuff. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to like it, share it, tell all your friends about it. You can reach me at BanksatRock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Banksy's Musical Podcast.